darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. Good morning. Happy Easter, everybody. He is risen. 
Come on, grab a seat, guys. We are so excited to get to celebrate the resurrection with you here this morning. We're excited in person, online. Just want to say hello to our crew over there. Uh, hey, if you do us a favor, if you are uh, maybe hanging out with us for the first time or new-ish to North Point, welcome. We're glad you're here. In fact, if you would do us a favor, just let us know you, in fact, are here. And there's a couple ways to do that. You can text the word uh, guest to 833-CHAT-NCC. We send a small form your way. I promise, I promise we will not spam you, sell your information, any of that goofy stuff. We just simply want to say hello. So if you would sit, fill out that form and send it back to us, it would be helpful. Uh, if you are a part of North Point, we love you too, right? So let us know you're here, and hopefully you have the North Point app where you can fill out what's called the Virtual Connect Card. Won't take but one minute. It's really helpful for us, and we'd appreciate it. Uh, if you don't have the North Point app, we can remedy that for you here today by simply texting the word app to 833-CHAT-NCC. Uh, we'll send a link back to you for all you wonderful Apple users and you Android people as well can have it. So um, we'll make sure to get that back to you if you simply text the word app to 833-CHAT-NCC. Uh, the reason North Point exists is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. And a big part of that uh, is being a part of the community. And so we've partnered with some incredible nonprofit organizations uh, and people to help be tangible feet and love of Jesus all over the place. And so uh, one of the ways that we do that is through blood drives. And coming up here on April 24th, we are going to host a blood drive on a Sunday morning right here. And it's a great way to make a difference in people's lives, to save lives, to be a part of it. And so if that's something you're interested in, you can register right there on the North Point app, uh, right where it says events. I click on blood drive. They ask for pre-registration. So feel free to check that out. Sign up if that's something that you would like to be a part of as well. Uh, one more thing we want to do this morning, and that's worship through our giving, and there's a few ways to do that. We've got the wooden boxes there in the back uh, that you can drop cash or check off to. You can also give right there on the North Point app on the Give tab, or simply text the word GIVE to 833-CHAT-NCC. We'll send a link right back to you guys. But we'd encourage you, man, if North Point is your home church, if you are a part of this place, uh, we would say, hey, give lovingly, give sacrificially, give knowing that Jesus is indeed our provider. So take a second to do that, and the band's going to start playing for us here again.
That is my Jesus, one who sets us free, who died for us when we absolutely did not deserve it. I saw this on um, social media this morning and it says, he healed the one who arrested him, served the one who betrayed him, 
and loved the world who crucified him. That's my Jesus. If you're here this morning, amen. <laughs> if you're here this morning and you don't know my Jesus, if you don't know the Jesus that we're talking about this morning, please ask any one of us because we would love to share him with you. about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. You're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Uh, for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have greeted each other with that statement and that response. Can you imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago, that Easter morning, that resurrection morning, 48 hours earlier, on Friday morning, the city of Jerusalem had woken up in a panic. 
It seemed like all of Jerusalem had poured into the countryside, out, had poured out of the countryside into Pilate's palace with a focus and a fury that seemed inappropriate for the Passover holiday. Maybe it was the amount of people involved. Maybe it's just that it was early in the morning and, the, and they hadn't had their coffee yet. Maybe it was that everybody just got caught up in that moment. But in, the, in a matter of minutes, that crowd had cried out for a murderer to be released and called for the execution of Jesus on Friday morning. In short order, Jesus had been brutally beaten paraded through the streets of Jerusalem to a hill outside of town and literally nailed to two pieces of wood. The one who had come into town five days earlier to a hero's welcome, who had been worshiped as the next king of Israel, had now become an object of scorn, suspended in the air for all of the people to gawk at him, to gawk at his exposed and battered body. Jesus died a grisly, gruesome death, and his body had been placed quietly in a rich friend's tomb, kind of a cave that had a stone rolled across the front of it that had never been used before. About the time that Jesus died, there was an earthquake in Jerusalem. And I, I think on that Sunday morning, all the people of Jerusalem were tr already trying to figure out what the priests were going to do because the veil, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from all of the Jewish people had been torn in half. And, and there was exposure to what had been the holiest place in all of Israel. Passover was done, but Jerusalem was still flooded with people. There were five times the normal population in Jerusalem that week. And everyone was talking about that week and what a crazy week it had been. Their expectations for Jesus had been so high. And, and when their expectations didn't materialize, their, that disappointment had turned to anger. And then I think anger almost to hatred. When the city had gone to bed after celebrating Sabbath that Saturday night, I think in the Jewish population there had been this sort of resignation, almost an acceptance that nothing was ever going to change and that, and that the, the coming of the Messiah, it was just a pipe dream, something the prophets had talked about, but it was unrealistic. It would never happen. One of the biographers of Jesus describes that Sunday morning this way. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fear, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on that third day be raised again. In 1969, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book about the five stages of grief that a person goes through when someone close to them dies. Uh, that the first stage of grief is denial. You deny the reality of that person's death. You, uh, you know, when you get that call, you say, no, it couldn't be. That couldn't have happened. I just saw him. That couldn't have happened. It's denial. Denial's followed by anger. And, and the grieving person, the person who has lost this person that they love, they lash out. You know, it had to be the doctor's fault. Why did that person run that stop sign? Why did, why did it, that happen? And they're, they're just filled with anger. Anger is replaced by this sense of bargaining. God, can't, can't you bring back life to them? Can't you take me instead? God, if you would just restore them, you know what, I'll, I'll build a hospital. I'll, do, I, I'll, I'll fund research for that disease. I'll do whatever it takes. Can't you just bring them back to life? The fourth stage is depression. It's, it's that sense that, you know what, I, I don't know if I can go on in life without this person that I've loved so much. 
There's no meaning, there, there's no strength, there's no hope without them. And the last stage, uh, Kubler-Ross says, is acceptance. You come to this place where you say, you know what, uh, life will go on. I've got this void in me, but there still is purpose to what I do, purpose to my life. I can still make a difference here. I, I think the disciples, those closest friends of Jesus, those people who knew him and loved him, they went through those stages of grief, grief in a very short period of time that weekend. They didn't believe that the, that the events could happen the way that they had, that Jesus, that Jesus would be crucified, even though Jesus had told them that they would. I, I think that after that denial, they, they got angry. I, I think that they were angry with the religious leaders. I think they were angry with Judas for betraying Jesus. I think they were angry with the mob for calling for Barabbas to be released rather than Jesus. I think they were angry with the soldiers who beat Jesus so badly. I think they were angry with themselves for not being able to stop it from happening. I think they probably tried somehow to bargain with God. And I think their depression was overwhelming Friday night, all day Saturday, when they woke up Sunday morning. They had to ask themselves, have we really wasted three years of our lives following Jesus? And now he's dead? They, they were so sure that he was the Messiah. They had seen him heal people. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him feed thousands. They had seen him calm storms. They had seen him walk on water. How could he do that if not for the power of God? How could they have been so wrong? As the women we just read about experienced, a, uh, the, the women that we just read about experienced, I think, a new process, a new set of stages when they encountered the empty grave that, that morning. There's stages that I think are probably universal for all of us as we think about the empty tomb of Jesus. As we look at that, the first thing that they experienced was confusion. Initially, those women were filled with confusion. Mark says that when the women approached the tomb with spices with which they were going to, to, to take care of Jesus' body, they had no idea how they were gonna roll the stone away. They, just, they weren't sure what they were gonna do. When they got there, the stone was already rolled away. The guards were unconscious or gone, and Jesus' body was gone. It wasn't there in the tomb. They didn't know what to make of it. Luke says that they were wondering, trying to determine what had happened. And at that point, their confusion gave way to fear. What's gonna happen as a result of this? An angel appears to them and the women fall face down in the dirt, afraid for their lives. Pilate had stationed guards at the tomb to make sure the body of Jesus wasn't stolen. But what the women encountered in those angels was way scarier than anything that Rome had to offer. Their fear was overwhelming, and the angel said, fear not, don't be afraid. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. They're confused and afraid, but the angel provides the answer, provides the solution, provides the, 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 everything that they need in just a moment. Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. You know, it's not unusual to face an obstacle, to face a dilemma, to face a challenge that's so overwhelming that it leaves you confused and full of fear. You get a pink slip at work. You get a medical diagnosis that just came out of nowhere. Maybe you're arrested. When you look back on those events, you realize later that the answer was there right in front of your eyes the entire time. It was there staring you in the face. It was so clear, but you didn't grasp it in that moment in terms of what you were supposed to do. That's what happened to these women. They heard the words of the angel. They, they, they processed those words. They had the head knowledge, but it just didn't compute because it didn't match their expectations. It didn't seem to make sense to them. Maybe you're here this morning because your parents made you come or your spouse said, please, 
please, for Easter, would you just come to church with me this one Sunday? Or maybe you're here because you're curious. You've always wondered what the big deal is about Easter. And you thought, you know what, this year, I think I'm gonna come check it out. You hear what we read from the scripture. You hear people say, Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. But the thought of an empty tomb, of a body coming back to life, it just doesn't make sense. It's a little bit too hard to accept. J. Warner Wallace is a homicide detective who specializes in cold case murders. He's been featured on Dateline and received a number of awards for his analytical work that resulted in convictions on cases that nobody else had been able to figure out. As an atheist, he decided to look at the facts and the claims surrounding Jesus' resurrection in order to prove it false. As he studied the case and applied his special set of skills, he, he came to a conclusion. Wallace, Wallace said the only reasonable explanation for the facts is to accept that something supernatural happened and Jesus actually did rise from the dead. He wrote about his process, his analysis, his conclusions in a book called Cold Case Christianity. If you're interested, when you leave today, we have an abbreviated version, a short version of the book that we'd like to give you. It focuses on the facts of the case, his conclusions, and why he reached those conclusions. We were able to buy enough copies to have one for each family, we hope. So stop by the Connect kiosk right out there on your way out, take one, and read it this afternoon. You'll find how Wallace dealt with the evidence surrounding the claims for the resurrection of Jesus. And then you'll have to determine what you do with that knowledge. That's what happened to the women on that Sunday morning. The angel said he's risen just like he said he would. And Luke describes something incredibly remarkable. He says this, then they remembered his words. They were confused and afraid. They heard the words, but then they had this aha kind of moment as they looked at the empty tomb. It's where the pieces fell into place and all of a sudden made sense. The answer wasn't just in their heads. It penetrated their hearts and it changed their lives. They remembered the words of Jesus. Three different times Jesus had said, Jesus had told them that he would rise again. In the region of Galilee, he had said, the son of man's gonna be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he'll be raised to life. On his way to Jerusalem, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, on Thursday night, just a few days before uh, that Sunday morning, he had told his disciples, after I've risen, I'll see you in Galilee. They remembered what Jesus said. And they recognized that his death wasn't a tragedy. His death was a triumph. The empty tomb wasn't a, a mystery. It was the fulfillment of what he had forecast. The fear and confusion were their issue, not Jesus's. It was all a part of his plan. Jesus was alive. As they remembered what Jesus told them, it's like the light switch flicked on for them. Jesus' resurrection, coming back from the dead, being, having risen again, it was no longer an academic exercise. It wasn't even an issue of faith. It was a reality. John tells us that in the moments after that encounter at the empty tomb, Mary, Mary uh, sees someone in the garden. She thinks that they're a gardener. And when the gardener, when this, when this man speaks her name, Mary recognizes that it's Jesus, that he is indeed alive. He is risen, we're no longer just words. It was the moment that changed their lives. They would never be the same again, none of them. The, that aha moment, 
If you're, if you're serious about being a follower of Jesus, you've got to have that aha moment. That aha moment happened for different people at different times. For one of the disciples, a man named Thomas, it came fully a week after the resurrection. He hadn't been there on that Sunday night, on the, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, when Jesus showed up and began to talk to the other 10 disciples. Thomas didn't believe it. John 20 says this, the other disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I'm not gonna believe. Fully a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, blessed are you because you've seen me and believed. Blessed are those who haven't seen and, and yet have believed. That aha moment, that recognition that Jesus is alive, it, it really is why we're here this morning to celebrate together, to celebrate Easter. It's not just the conclusion of a cold case detective. It's not just the accounts that are in the gospels that call us to come and celebrate. It's the reality of the resurrection and how it has changed our lives. Jesus is alive. And because of that, we have hope and courage and peace. We can face COVID. We can face bankruptcy or tragedy or disease, even death, knowing that there is life on the other side. We can have a right relationship with God, not because of anything that we've done, but entirely because God came to earth and became a man, lived a sinless life, became the perfect sacrificial lamb, took our sin on himself as he, as he was crucified and turned the world upside down three days later when he rose from the dead. This last week, Jake Redmond had his aha moment. Jake's a friend of mine who told me that I could, that I could tell a story. He, uh, like, like a lot of us, Jake, Jake's been a skeptic all of his life. He had a long list of why one religion was as good as any other and why he didn't need to give his life to Jesus. He was convinced that Jesus was only one way to have a relationship with God. And Jake was a skeptic because he'd seen a lot of people who claimed to be followers of Jesus but didn't act like it on a daily basis. About a year ago, Jake and I were skiing together and on the way home, I had a conversation about his objections to Jesus, to being a Christ follower, to giving his life to Jesus. He knew, he believed, he knew Jesus was a real person. But there, he's, he said, there's just so many things I can't buy into. At the same time, he could see how God was working in his life. We talked about all of his objections about the distractions, about all the things that kept sidetracking him, and that maybe it made sense to stop focusing so much on the distractions and instead focus on really the core issue, the main event, how much God loves him. Jake's been doing that. The more he's seen Jesus working in his life, the more convinced he became that that. His life was too much of a train wreck to say yes to Jesus. There were too many things that were just too, too uh, opposite of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. He wasn't perfect. He had issues. And yet Jesus was working, but he needed to clean up his life before he said yes to Jesus. This past week, he came to a conclusion. He said to me, you know, I really need to fully trust Jesus. I need to accept that he is who he said he is. I need him to be my savior and my Lord and to trust him to do the cleaning up. And so today, after the 11 o'clock service, Jake's gonna be baptized into Jesus. Yeah. 
He's, he's going to experience the promise of a new birth. And you're invited to come be a part of that baptism. Feel free to come back in the auditorium about 12.15 today and to celebrate Jake's aha moment where it all comes together. And if that's a step that you want to take, that you need to take, man, the water's going to be ready and we can take care of that today as well. From confusion and fear to hearing the answer but not understanding it, to experiencing that aha moment, that really is the kind of path that most people experience who know and love and give their lives to Jesus completely. When they face the empty tomb, there is confusion and fear. Then the truth is there, and then it gets internalized. But there's one other element that the gospel writers talk about that happened on that resurrection morning. In Luke 24, Luke writes this, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 disciples and to all the other, the, all the other believers. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. What happened next that morning? Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, told the others about their aha moment. They, they said, We've seen Jesus. He is alive. They couldn't help but talk about it. The news was too good to keep to themselves. And no one believed them. The disciples, they had the answer. They had heard what Jesus had said. They knew what he had said. But they were just as confused and just as fearful as the women had been earlier that morning. Now the answer didn't make sense to them. Those things that Jesus said, it still didn't mesh. They were gonna have to have their own aha moment. So Peter and John ran to the tomb to check it out. It took them some time, but they got it. It took Thomas a week, and then he got it. And once they got it, they couldn't stop talking about Jesus and talking about his resurrection. Did everyone believe them as they told that story, as they told what they had experienced? Not hardly. Even later in life when they're threatened with death and facing death, they told the story of Jesus' resurrection, of the hope that they had found because of the power of the resurrection. We have a North Point family who's lived out this empty tomb experience over the last six months. Last fall, all four of them experienced, last four of them, all four of them tested positive for COVID. And three of the four recovered pretty quickly within a week or two. But the dad, he was one of those COVID cases where his symptoms grew worse and worse. He went on a ventilator and into the ICU. Two different times the doctors told his wife, you need to prepare for his death. He's not gonna make it. Was she confused? Were they fearful? Absolutely. They know Jesus and they believe in the power of the resurrection and the power of prayer. They knew it, they had the knowledge, but it didn't seem to match the reality of what they were experiencing. God, in a way that only he could, saved his life. When he was released from the hospital, he had lost 80 pounds through his bout with COVID. But he was able to come home and be with his family, released on Christmas Eve. I, I sent a text to his wife yesterday to, to just find out if I could kind of tell the story. And, um, uh, and, and I'll tell more of her story in a minute. Um, I was talking to him a few weeks later, probably six weeks after he had been released. He was strong enough to come to church. He sat right down in that area right, right there, and he told me, you know what, Easter's gonna be crazy this year because I was dead twice, but I came back to life. I'll tell anybody who will listen because it's only by the power of God 
that I'm here. He, he said, I, it doesn't matter who I talk to, I tell him about it because I'm alive after being dead. He couldn't stop talking about Jesus and the power of the resurrection. When I texted his wife to, to, to just ask again about the story yesterday, she sent me a, a message that said that she had been admitted to the hospital this past Monday with a kidney blockage. Her blood went septic and she was in grave danger. That night, this past Monday night, she said she had a, a near-death experience. She said, she said in her text, I'm pretty, sh I'm pretty sure I saw the face of Jesus. This is the text that she sent last night. Yesterday they said I won't be out, out of the hospital before next Tuesday. Today I told them I'm ready to go home and, and I'm gonna be home by the end of the day. I was feeling better and I believed that the Lord had healed me completely. They looked at me like I was crazy, but they did all their labs, they ran all their tests and guess what, Pastor Rick? We serve a resurrecting savior. It's 9.40 p.m. and I walked into the door of my house 30 minutes ago. Praise the Lord. When, when I asked Mandy if I could share their stories, she said, she said, absolutely. This is all for the glory of God. It's because of the power of the resurrection. The question for all of us today on Easter morning is if we know that Jesus is alive, if we know that the tomb is empty, if that is a reality, what's that do to us? What, how will we experience that aha moment that changes our life? Because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed.